Today we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. If you have a Bible, please open up to Mark, chapter 7. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of our ushers will let you borrow one of ours. If you don't own one, you can keep the one you're borrowing. If you do own one, you can just leave it in your seat or give it back to an usher when you're finished. Um, you're welcome to use a device, of course, things like that. Just don't be distracted by social media. Yes, I'm talking to you. All right. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Scripture says, He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. And they were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of God. Now, there was a common thought at this time amongst the Jewish people, amongst Israel, um, that you may even share today. So if I push back on that, you'll be okay. We're going to look at it from the text. But the thought was that God's people were ethnic Jews. That is, the Hebrew people, ethnic Israel. And all of the other people who spoke Greek in the land were known as Gentiles. And they were seen as outsiders. They were not part of the covenant. They were not part of the Jewish promise. But I think what we see in this passage is that Jesus anticipates what has always been God's story. That salvation that belongs to the Lord is for all people from every nation. That was his intention from the beginning. It's his intention during Jesus' life and his intention now. And I think we'll see that in this passage. Some of you are already looking back to the passage and you're like, what? How, how is he going to get that out of this passage? What is he talking about? I'm telling you it's there. We're going to look at it together. Uh, but I want you to get, as we're looking, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for every nation, not just ethnic Israel. Look back at verse 24. It says, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He being Jesus. We've been following him along. Mark, in this entire book, has been trying to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, that's what he wants to show in this book. That's what he's been showing us. We continue to follow him. Uh, in recent weeks, we have been looking and seeing that Jesus is more than we expect. And once again, he's going to prove to the Hebrew people that he's more than just a savior for their people. That God is concerned about people of other nations. So he gets up. Notice it says there he goes to the region of Tyre. That immediately places us outside of the bounds of what would have been like ethnic Israel, okay? 
So he's out in a different area. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. We've seen this theme through Mark, that Jesus is not ready for people to know about him until his time is to come for him to be crucified. He continues to iterate that. Um, it says in verse 25, Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. So this mother comes, and she has a child that's not doing well. And we've already seen in Mark, people come to Jesus and say, He can fix my child. But when we saw it before, we saw Jairus doing it. If you're with us, if you don't remember that, you can flip back several chapters and check that out. He was like a Jew of Jews, okay? This was like somebody who would have been known. It's like in Charleston, there's a guy named Craig Tuck. About half of you in the room probably know who Craig Tuck is because he's like the godfather and knows all the churches. If you don't, now you know that name and you can pray for him too. Jairus would have been that guy. This woman, though, we actually don't even get her name. But we do get some details about her. Verse 26 says, The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So he's, she's not Jewish, but she still comes to this Jewish Savior and says, help my daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If you're looking for confusing sayings from Jesus, this is your confusing saying. Okay? Because you may read that and go, did he just call her a dog? The answer is kind of. Kind of. Uh, the CSB actually does a really good job. Some of y'all know I'm, I'm more of an ESV, NASB kind of translation guy. If you don't know what any of those letters means, different Bible translations, it's okay. Some of us just got preferences. CSB does a great job here, though, really getting across what Jesus was saying. Because his point isn't to so much, like, diss on this woman, okay? She didn't, like, come in and asking for his daughter, and he's like, I'm going to take this chance to dunk on you and, like, put you in your place. That's not what's going on. He's simply making a point. If you prepare food for your children, moms and dads in the house, or if you've just been a child like me, you don't give it to the dogs first, right? If my dad came in and he'd been grilling steaks and he came in with this nice steak that had been marinating the whole night before, some of y'all are like, it's lunchtime now. He comes in with the steak and he's like, Jake, the steaks are done. I'm going to give some to the dog before I give it to you. I would be offended as a child, right? Some of your parents are like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. We'd feed the children first. That's exactly the point Jesus is making. That's the, his whole aim here. He says, no, we, we want to feed the children first because this is supposed to go first to the Jewish people. Notice in verse 28 there, it says, But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now this is obviously seen by Jesus to be a humble response. A response that even embraces this dog title because that's often what Jewish people call Gentiles and says, yes, but all I'm asking for is crumbs. I'm not even asking to be at the table. She believes that strongly that Jesus can help her here. Verse 29 says, Then he told her, because of this reply, notice that's him directly saying, because of what you have said, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. It's always cool to see how Jesus does all the different miracles. Because sometimes he just says stuff like this, like, oh, just go home, it's already been handled. And then we're going to see in the next one he does it a little bit differently. But imagine being that woman. You literally come crawling to Jesus, pleading for him to help your daughter, knowing that you are a Gentile and he's a Jew, and he's probably not even going to talk to you. He sees her humility and heals the daughter without waving his hand, without a magic word, Sends her home, says, your daughter's better. 
Jesus reaches out to this Gentile woman with compassion, recognizing her humility and her faith. And he heals her daughter, sending out the Spirit. It says in verse 31, Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. Now you're saying, what are all these places? I don't know. You can look them up on a map, possibly in the back of your Bible on another day, things like that. But the point again is he's not just in Jerusalem, okay? He's around Gentile people, and here he's likely working with another Gentile. It says, verse 32, they brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. Jesus has already been healing people throughout Mark. Some of you, if this is your first time in church, you know that's like the story of Jesus. He goes around and heals people. Okay, cool. They bring this guy, and they say, Jesus, if you'll just lay your hand on him. Verse 33, things get a little weird. So he took him away from the crowd in private, and putting his fingers in the man's ears... And spitting, he touched his tongue. I'm just saying, y'all, it says they're in private. I don't know if the disciples are there, but if I'm the disciples and I'm like seeing this happen, I'm like, Jesus, last time you just said the girl was healed and sent her home. I'm like, what are you doing? Please don't walk up after me after church, put your fingers in my ears. Like, I don't want to fight anybody. That's not who I am. I'm just, we're laying that out there now, okay? So this man, though, obviously trusts Jesus, trusts what he's doing. He puts his fingers in his ears. He spits and touches this guy's tongue. And it says, looking up to heaven. So notice there's not anything necessarily special about touching the ears or spitting or the, touching his tongue. But he looks up to heaven, showing this is from God. And he sighs deeply and he says to him in Aramaic, be opened. Immediately. One of Mark's favorite words. Immediately. His ears were opened. His tongue was loosened. And he began to speak clearly. Have y'all seen the videos of the kids who get cochlear implants? They've never heard anything in their life. And all of a sudden, one of their parents is talking to them. And the little kid goes, <gasps> and it's like the sweetest video. You should YouTube it later. For all the garbage that's on the internet, it's one of the most encouraging things you'll watch, okay? Cochlear implants, check it out. I can't imagine this grown man who's deaf and struggles to speak suddenly being able to hear and to speak. I can't imagine that, y'all. It's a miracle. And Jesus, once again, is blessing a Gentile man. It says in verse 36, he ordered them to tell no one. Again, Jesus is going for secrecy. But the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. Of course they proclaimed it. If you knew this guy, and you knew that he couldn't hear, and you knew that he couldn't talk, and suddenly he comes up to you talking and hearing normally, I'm going to tell somebody. You, know, you don't have to have an evangelism program for that. People just see it and they tell people. They couldn't be stopped. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He reaches out outside of his ethnic bounds to Gentiles, who many saw as outcasts, who many saw as people who could not receive God's salvation the same way they could. They had to go through different rituals if they wanted to be part of this. They were not the ethnic people of God. But we see Jesus anticipating the gospel going out to the Gentiles because this has really been God's plan all along. You see, when God called Abram back in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, he told us about his plan to bless every nation. Scripture says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, 
your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Curse anyone who treats you with contempt, CSB says. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did you get that last line? All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is Genesis 12. You don't know Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And you could actually argue that through Eve's seed and chapter 3, verse 15 is for all people as well. But this one just makes it really clear. So we just go to this passage instead. We get this first step of the covenant. All peoples on earth. And this isn't just me reading into it. Because in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, Paul writes about Abram's call. And he says, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the, justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Even the prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 49, verse 6, I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 13, we actually find Paul and Barnabas referencing those words of Isaiah. It says, Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary if the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. This has been God's plan throughout Scripture, was to save a people for himself from every people in the world. Now, this doesn't mean that he forgets necessarily ethnic Israel because Jesus is descended through ethnic Israel. Do we get that? Jesus was born Jewish. Other white folks in the room, if that offends you, and that's the first time you've ever heard that, you can go check it out. Most of the people born in Jerusalem and the Middle East don't look like us. I know. Crazy. Romans 1.16, though, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And what he's saying there is exactly what Jesus was saying when he talked to the woman. Give the food first to the children, right? Because that's who it was prepared for. And we see that pattern in Acts as the gospel is going forward. They take it to the Jews if they reject it, or once they've heard, they move on to the Gentiles. When they get to Gentile regions, they tell Gentiles, because this is the message for all nations. Now, I can already tell some of you in here are church people. You know what I can tell? Because you know this and you're bored. You're like, yeah, it was for everybody. Okay, cool, we get it. But then somehow in our lives, we don't actually show that. Somehow our priorities wouldn't reveal that to the world around us, that we know this to be true. Our sin keeps us from fully embracing the truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for every nation. Even if we say we agree with the idea, our sinful flesh drives us in all the wrong directions. Some of us may say we care about every nation, but in practice, we actually only prioritize self-preservation. Others of us may say we care about every nation, but our actions when it comes to these issues actually reveals some political idolatry. 
You see, if, we're, if we say that we care about these people of every nation, but we only go for self-preservation, we're really just worried about our safety and our comfort. And, and let's be honest, y'all, we don't like change. We just want things to stay the same. We just want our, our bills to add up at the end of the month. We just want to have enough food. Some of you are like, I want more than enough. Okay, whatever. Some of us are greedy. That's a whole other sermon. The point is, we can say, oh yeah, missions to every nation. You know, we, we quote the Great Commission and we're like, oh, make disciples of all the nations. And then when it comes time to give the missions, we're not generous. Instead, we're like, where can I find a $5 bill? Maybe that'll help somebody know the gospel. And that's all we give. We don't pray. We don't go ourselves. We can talk like we care, but what do our actions show? For others, when I say that we say we care about those nations, but then our action on the issue really just comes out of political idolatry, it may look good on the outside. You may say, man, I care about these immigrants coming in. I care about them being taken care of. I see them as people who are image bearers of God who need to be loved and cared for. But what's wrong is our heart motivation. We're not actually concerned about those people. We're more concerned about making Trump look bad. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. Because I think we have to probe our hearts a little bit. It's one thing to nod our heads and say, amen, and yes, I agree. It's a totally other thing to evaluate our hearts and notice our own sinfulness. That this truth from Scripture isn't something that we can just do. It's not just something that comes naturally to us because we are sinners. But there is good news. You see, only in Jesus do we begin to see the gospel as good news that is truly for every nation. He shows us what it means to live in light of this truth. Do you not see that even in today's passage? Jesus didn't go ask some Jewish synagogue leader, is it okay if I go heal these Gentiles? No. This woman comes to him, and he, he knows the theology. He says to her, you know, that goes to the children first, all those kind of things. But he has compassion on her. He heals her daughter. He goes to this other man, and I'm not telling you to go stick your fingers in people's ears and stuff like that. But he goes and he heals this man. He has compassion for someone who would have been seen as other, who would have been seen as different. And in his life, he shows us this example. He lives in the way that we ought to and the way that we don't. At the end of his life, he went to the cross and laid down his life. Revelation 5, 9 tells us that by his blood, he ransomed people for God. You ready for this? From every tribe and language and people and nation. He purchased them with his blood. That's not just metaphorical language, y'all. Jesus poured out his blood for people who were not in the world's eyes, his people. For most of us in this room, we are not ethnic Jews. We are not Hebrew, which means this is good news for us. The only way we're saved is if Jesus died for a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus didn't speak English on this earth, though I have thought about it before. Since he's God, like, did he already understand English? Even though I don't, I don't know all that. He didn't primarily speak English, though. And yet he died even... For all here who will repent and believe. The good news is, his death isn't the end of the story either. After being dead three days, he defeated sin and death. And rose from the grave 
And now all of us will turn away from our sin and trust in him. We'll find new life in him. Our sin that we gazed at just for a second has been paid at the cross. We now participate with Christ in the present. We walk in the newness of life now. Your eternal life begins when you trust in Jesus. It starts here. And it shows up in how we love God and how we love our neighbors. And it's an eternal truth. Because Jesus died and was resurrected, we will now live forever with him. Death has no hold on us. Our sin no longer has claim on us. We'll turn away from our sin and trust in Jesus. We can see people from every nation as he does. He'll bring us out of self-preservation and into self-abandonment. We will lay down our lives so that other people can know him. Whether they're right here in Midland Park or right next door to you or the cubicle next to you. Or in Timbuktu, wherever God is leading you. Church, something we probably don't say here enough is God may be leading some of you to go be foreign missionaries. We as Radiant intentionally prioritize here because, hey, this is where we live. We've got to be responsible here. But God may be stirring in some of you to go. You may or may not know this, but we're a Southern Baptist church, which means we give to the International Mission Board. The International Mission Board right now has money and slots to send people overseas. They're just waiting for people to say they're ready to go. Is God calling you that way? If we say we care for the nations, are we going to say, no, I need self-preservation, I just need to stay where it's comfortable? You know, we can come up with all the excuses, right? My family's close by, I know the language here, this is where I've always lived. Can we really come to God and say, God, whatever you want with my life, I will do. I will go wherever, I will go to whomever for your glory so that your word may be known. How does he bring us out of political idolatry? He does it because a love for Jesus leads us to see ourselves rightly and to know our sin but to not wallow in that because it turns our love to God, which then turns our love to others. Because when we love Jesus, when we know about his life, death, burial, and resurrection, we now know God's love. We see it through the cross. That's, you go to 1 John 4. It tells us how do we know about God's love. It's not just some ambiguous term. It's not just some feeling or some emotion. It's the action of God to save his people. And we know his love and if by faith and repentance we grow in our love for God, then we will grow in our love for other people. John tells us if we don't love our brothers, we should be concerned about that other party. I know this always makes people uncomfortable to talk politics. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm not here to tell you what policies we should do. But I am here to tell you that immigrants, whether legal or illegal, are people who are made in the image of God. They're people who should be fed. They're people who should be loved. They're people who we, church, should be taking the gospel to willingly. For all of my life, 
I've been in churches where people pray that we would go to the nations, and now that the nations are coming to us, I hear too many people in churches saying, we don't need them here. Church, again, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking people. I'm talking the word of God. We're talking image bearers. My question isn't who you're going to vote for next time. My question is, what are you doing now to care for these people? Activism online is not activism. Do we care for these people as Jesus has cared for us, as Jesus cares for them? That's what should stir us. That's what should compel us because we know his love and we want them to know his love. That applies to people right here in our neighborhood that may or may not speak our language. That applies to people we see on street corners. They're people. They should be treated as such. None of us has inherited Christianity through birth. None of us. If you are here today and you claim to be a Christian because your parents were, and you say, I was just kind of born into it, you may not be a Christian because that's not how anybody becomes a Christian. In fact, we are born sinners who deserve the eternal wrath of God. Sometimes when I say that, people say stuff to me after, like, I haven't been to a church that talks about the wrath of God. Sin is an ugly thing, and it's not something to wink or joke about. And it has eternal consequences. But by God's grace, we can be born again. So that first birth doesn't make us Christians, but that new birth does. That new birth in Christ gives us life now and forever. By faith, we are united with Jesus. That means in him, we are brought into his inheritance as the only son of God. Do you understand what that means? Christians, that means we were outsiders who have been brought in. Do we get that? We are the ones who were outside of what was supposed to be in some people's minds. And Jesus paid the price for us so that we could be brought near. He took us from being outsiders and turned us into God's family by sheer grace. And now we can see other people who are perceived as outsiders, as inherently valuable and worthy of our love and compassion. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, this gospel we're talking about, this for every nation, is good news for you too, no matter where you're from. This is news that you can have new life. This is news that you matter. This is news that Jesus cares about you. And if you will turn away from your sin and trust in him, you can find new life of joy and purpose. Many of you here today do know Jesus. And I wonder if we struggle with some of these sins we've talked about, maybe ours are a little different. Maybe the Holy Spirit has brought yours to mind even during this time. But I wonder how seriously we take a passage that's quoted a lot. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, do we know that we have a mission to go to these people 
of all nations, to send our brothers and sisters out as God leads them? Do we actually trust that God is with us in this mission? He goes before us. He is with us in the moment. It's only through the Great Commission, it's only by the gospel being taken to people of all nations that we will one day see the picture that we see in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. We, we talked about Genesis being for all people, and now we're going to the very last book. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne of the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's a picture that is going to be seen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is our future. That's not just a dream or a vision or a metaphor. People that we can't number. We can sit and get caught up in theology and political policy and whatever else and and talk about it and debate it. But what we know to be true is that God has people who have yet to hear the gospel. And we don't know who they are. We've been told to go and tell it to all of them. When was the last time, Christian, you shared the gospel? When was the last time in a discussion about immigrants you didn't just debate politics but talked about people's humanity and their value maybe as we have those conversations we can tell people about this good news of Jesus Christ that is for every nation if you're here today and you don't believe in just a moment I'm going to invite everyone to stand and sing and when we do that I'm going to invite you to go back to that table back there that says next steps We'll have people back there waiting on you that you can talk to. We're not trying to force you into a weird decision or anything like that. We don't want to emotionally manipulate you, but we do want to talk to you. If you don't know Jesus and you're hearing about this good news, I don't want you to leave here today without the opportunity to respond to that good news. There's just one way you can do it. You can find me after church. You can talk to any of our members because they represent Jesus. They're ambassadors of Christ. Talk to them. Have a conversation. For many of you who are Christians here, do we see that this truth that the gospel is for all nations can't just be something that we agree with in our minds? It can't just be something that we know up here. It's something that we need to impress upon our hearts. Do we see why it's important for the glory of God and for the sake of our neighbors? I pray that we do. And I pray that today we're stirred to love and good works that glorify God that people may see how we love one another and how we love our neighbors and glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray.